You may be seated. We do not have um, anyone for nursery today. Jessica texted and said that she wasn't feeling well, so she is not here. So for the rest of you, if you want to turn back to Exodus 16, we will be looking primarily today at Exodus 16 and John chapter 6, and we will be going through John chapter 6 an awful lot. So the first part of this is going to go hopefully more quickly. Um, otherwise, we'll be here till 1 o'clock. Um, but it's good that there wasn't many testimonies, which means that gives me more time, right? Um, and then, when, as we said, Rodney, when everybody else comes in at 11.30 because they're running a little bit late, I've got to start all over again, right? So, um, but we have been over this past um, couple months looking at uh, Christ, focusing on the Christ, and this little segment focusing on the shadow of Christ, which means we're looking at those types that were put out in the Old Testament. Types are, are indicators, pictures of something that was going to come in the future. And in the New Testament, we are told that these things are just but shadows of that which was to come. And Christ is the fulfillment of these things. And so we're looking primarily only at these types that really are revealed to us in the New Testament. There are others that clearly um, are pictures of Jesus. Um, but the ones I've tried to, to use are ones that have been clearly delineated in the New Testament as pictures of Jesus Christ. And so as we have been looking, we've seen Christ as being the creator, the seed of the woman, the seed of um, Abraham, the redeemer, the Melchizedekian priest, the lamb of God. He was the way, is the, the ladder, if you remember Jacob's ladder. Then the coming king, as he was going to be of the seed of Judah. He was going to be our Passover lamb. And as well, last week we saw that he was the the Shekinah Chabod, the Shekinah glory of God, that he was that, that pillar of light and pillar of cloud that went before the children of Israel. And as he stood in the, um, the court of the woman during the Feast of Tabernacles, sitting right next to the great menorah, that he declared, I am the light of the world. And you know that, if you remember from last week, that great menorah was the, was the representation of the Shekinah Chabod. And I don't know if I shared enough of the, 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 the Shekhanah last week, but the Shekhan meant, in Hebrew, it means to tabernacle. It means to tent. And so in John chapter 1, when it says, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, what it says, going back into the Hebrew, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then we're told in verse 15, and we beheld His glory. We beheld His chabod. He is the Shekhanah Kabod of God. That when Jesus Christ, we know that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. It's a mind-boggling thing. How this man, quote-unquote, right? He's fully man, right? The manhood. That this man, this casing of flesh, when you looked at him, wasn't just but man, but rather the fullness. The fullness of the Godhead, dwelt within that casing. That's mind-boggling. The universe can't contain him. Solomon declared, you know, Lord, I know that this temple can't contain you. And yet, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ. And so, as we talked last week, to wonder what God would look like if he was on the earth is to look at Jesus. And so he said to Philip, have I been so long with you that you haven't recognized me? To see Jesus is to see the Father. Today we want to continue 
on this journey with Israel coming out of the land of Egypt as they move forward. And as we read already from the book of Exodus 16, uh, book of Exodus chapter 16, that this event we're going to look at occurs only about 45 days from their coming out of coming out of, of Egypt. And so in Exodus 16, if you're there, um, briefly we want to look at two parts in this um, on the practical side before we look at the prophetical side. And that is, first of all, we want to see that the manna in the wilderness demonstrated the provision of God. Now note, in the very beginning of chapter 16, when I said about that 45 days, it says that, um, on verse 1, it says that they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and uh, Sinai, how we say that, Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. Now the Jewish calendar was a lunar calendar, so it was 30 days. Okay, and so this is during the second month, this is the 15th day, so this is 45 days. 45 days after they've just seen what? Not just Passover. They've seen the sea part. What else did they see as they saw the sea part? They saw the the entire Egyptian army be destroyed in that. Okay? So, I mean, just a miraculous thing. So they've seen God pummel Egypt. They've seen God pummel Egypt. Okay? And so, 45 days later, verse 2, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel, what? Complain. <laughs> Complain. They complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. What were they in Egypt? They were slaves. <laughs> you know, how easy it is for us to what? Forget. It took them 45 days. 45 days to forget the power of God. Now, I mentioned this last week as well, but I want to bring it in here. What else is going on in the camp of Israel at this moment? I know, it's not written here. You just have to understand. Bring, bring, it, bring, bring it along with you, because it did. Come. The pillar, the Shekinah Chabot, the, the, the Shekinah glory, the, the tabernacle and glory of God is in the midst of the camp. And so last week, I think, friend, was it you that, that mentioned, you know, about waking up in the morning and walking out and seeing it? Yeah. I mean, so here they are. The day that they're complaining about God's provision, God's there. I mean, it's not everybody's camp that has this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire in the middle of it that happens to be able to elongate itself to defend you from the entire Egyptian army. As it, you know, all those chariots, 600 choice chariots along with the rest of the army is coming up against you for this pillar of fire, pillar of cloud to go between you and the, the mightiest army on the face of the earth so that it can't touch you. And here it is in the midst of your camp, and you what? And you forget. And you forget. How easy it is for us to forget. And so, but God... In his grace, right? We're going to see this in a moment, his faithfulness. But God in his grace, he says, verse 4, Then um, Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk by my law or not. Turn, keep your finger there, we'll come back, but turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, the final writing of the of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses comes back and recourses over this moment, 
And in verse 2, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, we read, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you to all, all these ways, all the way, these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. You can go back to Exodus 16. So what was Moses saying there at the end? How long did this man last? Forty years. And God had allowed the children of Israel to suffer hunger. He allowed that. Okay? Brought it, brought it back so that they would learn an important thing. And that is that God is the one who what? Provides. That even when they themselves, in the middle of the wilderness, there was no other way, no other way for, for there to be bread enough for, for all these people, food enough to feed these people that God himself could provide. And not only could he provide, he would provide. And so in the Lord's Prayer, quote-unquote, we call it the Lord's Prayer, I, I believe the Lord's model prayer, um, the Lord's Prayer actually occurs in John 17, but the model prayer that Jesus gives, he says that we should pray for our what? Our daily bread. But how many of you would, would be satisfied today if you went home and you had a loaf of bread for, for lunch? I mean, not many of us are, are looking forward to going home and having a bowl of rice. Or a loaf of bread. But rather we want to have just a little bit of what? Meat in the pot to go with it. <laughs> We'd rather have our leeks and melons and, and, and cucumbers to, to, to go along with it. But God has provided, has promised to provide our what? Our need. Our need. Many believers in the world from those third world countries pray for us as, as Christians in America because they're afraid for us because of our, our affluence. Because in our affluence we forget the God who provides. And we take our eyes off of Him and place it on the affluence. But God is the one who provides. It has been neat for me, and I share experiences just from my own life. It's been neat for me to watch God provide over these last seven years as we've trusted him. I remember one day when, I mean, in my quiet time journal, I should have brought it, but in my quiet time journal, I literally prayed, Lord, I need more time for ministry. I don't know how it's going to come. Some of these bills need to be alleviated. I can't remember exact, my exact wording, but that was generically it. That lunch... When I got the mail, there was a check for $6,000 in the, in, the, in the mailbox. I called the person who it was from. They were not in the country at the time, so I called them the next morning just to make sure that, you know, there wasn't a mistake, you know, wasn't too many zeros added to this, you know, a wrong address put on this thing. And, and I talked to the wife, um, and 
they'd stated about an inheritance and they felt like they needed to you know, tithe off the inheritance. Um, they believed in tithing and that God had laid it on their heart. And then she quoted, literally verbatim, quoted my quiet time journal from that morning, from the, from the, the, the day before. That God had put it on their heart that I needed more time for the ministry and that some of my bills and whatever I wrote that. She literally, I mean, I'm not just making it, she literally quoted my journal. That was one of those do-do-do-do-do-do-do moments, you know? And, and being the math major, I mean, this is just, I don't share this to, to, to bemoan. I really don't. I didn't pay me the last two months. You know, I paid Marsha as, as a member, the little bit that I pay her, but I, I couldn't pay me the last two months from my, from my company, you know? And that's a real mm, moment, you know? One month, you can slide. Two months, you, you know? And I don't know if you remember, I shared, I mean, because I had math. Uh, college bill to pay. I had a I had a, a car bill to pay, but you know what? I'm into the third month, and all my bills are paid. Now mathematically, I don't get it. You know, I'm the math major, and so some sometimes I'm Israel. Does that make sense? And so God's got to let us struggle in the area that 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 we know that we got a handle on. And so I, I've just always have loved how God has redone my math. It doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? God is always there in the nick of time to pay the bills that are there. And so, if you know that you're doing a need and not a greed, then you know that what? God will, God will provide. He will always be there to provide. Do you believe that? He showed Israel he can do it. And he can do it with 1.6 million people. Now, that's pretty impressive. I mean, it's hard for me to put a loaf of bread out for seven or, or nine, you know. But God laid it out there for... 1.6 million people every day for 40 years. Oh, I, wait, sorry, I take that back. I just, I spoke amiss. He didn't do it every day, did he? No, he did it six out of seven days. But on the sixth day, he put enough out there for the seventh day, okay? I always love the people, you know, what we're talking about. This is just kind of a side because we don't have time to talk about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That, that went out there, right, and, and, and kept the food till the next day, thinking what? Oh, you know, God's not going to provide tomorrow. And so what happened to the stuff that they collected? It rotted and stank, okay? What do you think happened to those people on Friday when God said, now go out and collect twice as much? They, they were probably the ones who didn't because they what? Because they saw it stank earlier and they said, oh no, we went to this before. And everybody else who trusted God and, 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 and only did the one, each one of those days, they went out and took twice as much, right? Because they're trusting God. Well, these people who saw it stank and saw the maggots and saw all those things, they said, oh no, I don't want this in my house. And so they only got one, day for one, right? And they went out the next day and what? It wasn't there because it was the Shabbat. And so they hungered, you know? I, I, I think they fasted that day. God said, you guys really need a spiritual moment, you know? And so everybody else had food, and they were able to have a, a day of rest. But these people who, who really needed to grow in their faith had an opportunity to grow in their faith, and God gave them a forced fast. So, anyways, I thought that was kind of fun. Anyways, the second thing we see with this manna is not only that God will provide, but we see the faithfulness of God as well. Turn with me um, to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9. And in Nehemiah, chapter 9, um, we read a long segment where Nehemiah is recoursing um, God's faithfulness to the children of Israel over the years. I'm going to begin at verse 7, okay? And then I'm going to kind of drop 
cut a couple verses out here just for the sake of time. It says, You are the, the Lord God who chose Avram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Avrahim. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. To give it to his descendants, you have performed your words, you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name. You made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy, a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which, you should, which they should travel. Drop down to verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 19. Yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness... He just recounted their, 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 their wickedness, how they turned away from him. You did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them day by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them the light in the way that they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for thirst. For years, 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. We read that as well in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember that when, when Moses was recounting that. But in this side we see the faithfulness of God. The chesed if you would of God. The faithful loving kindness of God to the objects of his covenant. When God makes a covenant with his people he will be true to the covenant. Even if they are not. Do you get it? I mean Israel over and over and over again were what? Unfaithful. I mean here they were 45 days 45 days, just a month and a half, we're already two and a half months into this year. Okay? How much do you remember from New Year's? Okay? They're closer. I mean, you can remember some of those stuff, right? They're closer. Do you remember anything from Christmas time? Some things? The younger people remember, the older people are going, wow, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) That seems like so long ago now. Anyways, um, but the fact is that it was just 45 days. And they already are what? They're complaining. And God, we're, gonna, we're not going to look at it right now, but we could go to, to Numbers chapter 21. I think it's Numbers 21. And we can read there where the people in the wilderness are beginning to complain about what? About the manna. You know, all we've got is this manna. Think about it. What is the manna? It's angel's food. It's, it's heavenly bread. It's nothing that they can even describe. There's nothing they can compare it to. No one has ever seen it before. All of a sudden they wake up in the morning and the dew is bread. And so they gather these pieces of dew, which are bread. Because when the sun comes out in the heat of the day, it what? It melts. So it's almost, almost like it's snow. It's like a frost. It's not bread. And yet it is bread. If you pick it up and put it in your bowl, it's bread. That's exactly right. And so when, when God provided for them, right, God laid it out there, but they had to do what? They had to go out and 
They had to go out and get it. And they, could, they, they got enough to feed themselves, to be satisfied, right? Every day, if you would, six out of seven days, for 40 years. And yet, here's God's provision in a miraculous, mighty way. And they what? They complain. You know, it's amazing to me, years ago, we used to have a bread ministry at the previous church I pastored. In, in, the, in the fellowship hall on the bottom, um, we would have um, bread coming um, that volunteers would go and pick up from um, different grocery stores that was considered, quote-unquote, day-old, or you know, they were just going to discard it. But it was still within the, the uh, what do you call it, expiration date. But it was right there. And, I mean, we would have all kinds of breads that were there. It was, I mean, if you were our connoisseur of bread, you would have loved this, okay? I mean, all kinds of breads. Um, not just white breads, but there would be pies at times. There would be rice pudding at times. I mean, anything that was like that. And there would be some days we'd actually have some produce as well that went with it as well. And I remember hearing people. Now, there were a lot of ministries that came in. You understand? We were just kind of a, came, came like a centralized place. And a lot of ministries from downtown would come in, and they would grab a bunch, and they would take it down to their churches and to, to feed the poor and the, the, the ones that they were ministered to. And, I mean, I had one guy come in, and he would just stop and give it to people on the road and use it as an opportunity for evangelism, you know? Um, but I remember hearing people complain about the same stuff coming in over and over again. And I used to kind of laugh, because it's like Israel. Y- you know? I mean, if it wasn't here, then what? You wouldn't have it. And, and I'd have some of the volunteers tell me about it, people complaining at their place. You know, people who had a need, quote-unquote. And I, and, I, and I can remember people that I've helped in the past, and I've gone down to, to the, um, the food, uh, food pantry, to Golden Harvest, um, to the food bank, and, and getting them bags and boxes of groceries and taking it to them and having them complain. <laughs> You know, I mean, hey, listen, I love black olives, right? And I remember this one guy, I mean, we were able to give him a couple cans of black olives. I'm I'm willing to take, you know, take just one can of black olives wouldn't be a big deal for me, but I said, no, no, I can't do that. That's stealing God's stuff, you know? And and, and they get to his house and have him complain, and I'm thinking, buddy, I would love to have the stuff that I'm giving you, you know? And, uh, but don't we do that too? We get so used to it. God's faithfulness. How we take it for granted? How many of you are breathing right now? Only a couple of you. <laughs> some, some of you aren't breathing. So you need to wake up. Let's stop for a moment. Everybody, wake up. Okay, take a deep breath. <sighs> Feel the provision of God. You know the faithfulness of God. God has allowed the the proper oxygen and nitrogen and all that other content to be in the air right now that you could breathe. We take it for granted. Your lungs are breathing right now, and you're not thinking about the fact that you've got to breathe. You know. God's faithfulness is there all the time and how much we take it for granted. Even when Israel wanted to turn back on God, God was faithful. And so Paul says to Timothy, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. God remains faithful. I am so excited to be a part of the new covenant of God. Because I can't even jump out of his hand. You know, there is neither famine or earthquake or pestilence or pearl or, or sword or angels or things present, things to come, or Bob Corbin that can, that can take me out of the love of God. You know? Isn't that cool stuff? 
And you know, there's a lot of times that Bob Corbin tries. No, he doesn't really mean to. He just kind of does it. And I can imagine I could put your name in there as well. But God is faithful to his covenant. So let's look at the prophetical side, though. Um, let's turn to John chapter 6. And this is a long chapter. You should be thankful that I didn't choose this one for the reading this morning. If you thought Exodus 16 was long. Okay? John chapter 6 goes 71 verses. <laughs> so, we're only going to go 69 of them right now. <laughs> See? I did cut a verse out of Exodus 16, too. I just thought it was you know, just an afterthought, so left it out. But in John 6, um, we want to look at this. And, and in John chapter 6, we want to see, first of all, the setting that's here that we're going to see in verses 1 to 24. And I'm going to read all this, okay? You can stay seated right now, because um, we'll be up and down otherwise. But I think the, the setting is very important for us to understand what's happening here. It says, after these things, that is after Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees and such, is after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who um, were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? that these may eat. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered and said, Two hundred denarii where the bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was so much grass, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in a number of 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to disciples, and the, to disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were all filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come in the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening had came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went, away, uh, went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there, except that the one the disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got in boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Okay? So here we got the setting of what we're going to be talking about with the, the, the bread of heaven and, and Jesus being the, the bread of life. First we know it's about Passover time. Okay? We got that from verse 4. Okay? Now that gives us some indicators. 
What time of the year is it? For us, springtime, March, April time frame. Okay, this year uh, Passover is in April, toward the end of April. Okay, um, sometimes it's at the end of it's end of March. Okay, it all depends on whether there's a leap month or not for that for that year. And so we know it's during that time frame. Okay, and so it's spring. Things are starting to become lush, and Jesus is is trying to find a a, a place just to kind of get off with his disciples. But he looks up as he's sitting on the mountain with his disciples, and he sees what? He sees the people coming. Okay, and I just always think this is amazing. You know, every time Jesus tries to get alone, he sees what? Crowds. And when he sees the crowds, what happens? He has compassion on them, and and he, he teaches them, and he what? A lot of times he feeds them. You know, and and I love this. You know, with the feeding of the five thousand, you know, he turns around to the disciples and says what? You guys feed them. Get, get them some food. You know? And the disciples, you know, they're, they're looking out at the 1.6 million people in the wilderness, you know, if you would. I mean, I know it's not 1.6 million, okay? But take the analogy that's happening here, okay? And they look out and they go, what? There's no way that I can feed all these people. But I love Philip, or Andrew, who comes up and says what? Well, there's a guy here, there's a little kid here, he's got five loaves, two fish. But, you know, what's all that? What's, what's that for all these people? But he did do what? He tried. <laughs> he tried. I, I came up with five loaves, five little barley loaves. Little, you know, this is, this is a kid's lunch. You know, I got, I've got five little loaves of bread and, and two fish. And Jesus says, have them sit down. Have them sit down. And he takes the bread, and he holds it up, and he thanks his father who gives him the bread of the earth. It says, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, or, Hayeretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the bread of the earth. And he would have then broke it, he would have gave it to his disciples and said then to them, give it, no, no, that's, that's the last supper. Give it to, give it to everybody else. And so they broke it. I mean, think about it, there's only what? Five loaves. How many disciples? Twelve. So that means he has to do what with these, these loaves of bread? Well, break them at least in thirds, right? Okay? Okay? So, so now you have this little barley loaf, okay? And you're broken it into what? Three pieces. Okay? So how much does each disciple have? Not a whole lot. Yeah, a slice of bread. <laughs> yeah. You know, equate it to a slice of bread. Maybe a little bit more, but not a whole lot more. And so now we take the 5,000 men, not counting what? Women and children. So let's make math easy on ourselves and say there's 1,000 women and children combined. That gives us 6,000 people. Okay? I say that's easy because 12 times 5 is what? 60. So that means that I've got to add two zeros to that. So that means that each one of the disciples is responsible for feeding 500 people with a loaf of, or a piece of bread, <laughs> a slice of bread. Does that kind of give you a little bit better idea? Okay. And so we have, I mean, make, make it two or three slices to, just to make yourself feel better, okay? And so, and if it makes you feel really good, let's make it five loaves to make, or five pieces of bread to make the math easy. That means that I've now got one slice to feed 100 people, <laughs> okay? And so, so they're breaking it off. Everybody's breaking it off, and they're passing it, and they keep passing it, and they keep passing it. And when they're all done eating till they're what? This is important. They didn't just have, the, you know, how we take the crackers at, at communion and we do what with it? We kind of pulverize them, you know. 
and, and, and everybody gets a what? A little piece. Nobody wants to get a big piece. It's kind of fun as you're distributing sometimes. I try to ignore, you know, who's taking, who's not taking, but every once in a while you can. And, but most people are going to go for the what? The, the little pieces, okay? Because they don't want to be sitting there, you know, chewing on this big piece of cracker, you know, when everybody else is done. And uh, unless they didn't have breakfast that day, they may be looking for the biggest piece that's in there. But anyways, but as a whole, people aren't eating that way. People are eating until they were full. Full. They didn't take just a little bitty morsel and go, hmm, that's so good, you know? But they ate till they were full, and then they passed the baskets, and they took up how many baskets? Twelve. Meaning one for each. Isn't that incredible? He went out, each disciple went out with one to five slices, if you would. Okay? And they came back with a basket full. You get it? They brought back what? More than they took out. Pretty incredible stuff, huh? The provision of, of God. is just an amazing thing as we look at that. Okay? And so, so we see that. And so when, when the people see what happened, what do they want to do? Not just follow them around. What do they, specifically, what do they want to do? They want to make him the king. Jesus perceived, he knew their thoughts, that at that moment they wanted to come and make him the physical Messiah. They wanted to make him the king, Mashiach, at that time. But that wasn't the purpose for which he came. And so at that moment, what did he do? He left. He left, but he left alone. Potentially having the disciples do what? Control the crowds. That's exactly right. They, 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 they were down there holding the crowd back, okay, controlling the crowd, while he what? Escaped, if you would. While he got out. Okay? And he went on the mountain, we know, that he went up there probably to, to pray, to have fellowship with God alone, and um, with his father. And so he goes away, he, he goes away, and then, then the, uh, the disciples leave. Now, you know, it's not stated here, but did he communicate with them? Did he say, hey, listen, listen I'm going to go this way, but after I'm gone, you guys get in the boat and go to Pernum. I'll meet you there in a couple days. I'll meet you there later. You know, he tells them to go. Because after he leaves, the disciples do what? They get in the boat. Okay? And while they're out in the boat, the storm comes, right? It's raging. And Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. We know from, from um, Matthew's um, indicator of this that Peter does what? Peter asks to come out, and he says, come on out. And then uh, Peter um, takes his eyes off of Jesus, puts it on the storm, he falls. Jesus picks him. How fast does that happen? And Jesus reaches out his hands, he grabs him, pulls him back up, and they get on the boat. And it says that right after they get on the boat, what happens? They're immediately there where they're going. And that's something. I mean, we, I, I could have numerous messages here, and so I, I need to keep moving on. But just an amazing thing. This is all the... This is all what's happening, okay, um, as we come up to this, this, this part. So look at verse 25 now, as we get into the, in, the instruction side of this. It says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, so the crowd, you know, they, they finally decide, well, he's not here anymore. And so they, they begin walking around, and some get on boats, and they get over to Capernaum. And it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, I love this, I mean, Moses, surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, 
but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're coming here. Why? So I can feed you again. He says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because, the God, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to, him, said to them, This is the work of God, that you may believe in Him whom He sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform <laughs> that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives you life, and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will, the thalema, if you remember going back to the fall. This is the thalema, the will of the desire of the Father who has sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but that I should raise them up the last day. This is the thalema, the will, the desire of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. Now, what happens here? First of all, Jesus challenges their, their motives. They come to him and they said, Hey, Rabbi, where have you been? How did you get here? And Jesus instantly, he knew what was within them. Isn't that scary? It ought to be scary sometimes, you know. He doesn't answer the question they ask. He answered the question they really wanted to know, you know? And he says, this is, this is so, I mean, so amazing to me sometimes, I think. And, you know, and, and, and I'm like you and like everybody else. We want to pick on the Pharisees. We want to pick on these Israelite people. And we think, good grief. And I know I'm just like them, okay? And so, so Jesus says, you didn't believe me because of the signs that I gave. What signs did they just see? He just fed... 6,000 people plus, 5,000 men plus, right? So 6,000 people plus with just five little bitty loaves of bread and two fish. We've got to add the fish, two and two fish, okay? It had leftovers, more than that there was to start with. But why were they coming even there at the mountain when he was teaching? No, 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 not to Capernaum. Go before, all the way to the beginning of chapter 6. Why were they even coming to where he was? Because they had seen the signs which he was performing in the people that he was healing. Right? So they had already seen all the people being healed. Then they come out and they see him feed him. Right? And Jesus says, you guys, you're missing it. You don't believe me for the signs. You want to just be fed. And their response is what? No. So what sign are you going to do? So what sign are you going to do that we know? And then they talk at the manna. Yes. Then they say, well, Moses gave us manna. What are you going to give us? They're still thinking what? Physical. Physical, physical, physical. Jesus is talking spiritual. He said, listen, you, this is a spiritual moment. I've come to bring you spiritual life, and all you're focusing on is what? Physical. What are you going to eat? What are you gonna, Moses gave us manna. What are you going to give us? What did he just do? He gave them manna, if you would. He fed them with miraculous bread. 
<laughs> Moses gave us manna. What are you going to do with us? <laughs> Nothing, no. I mean, I just, it's just mind-boggling to me. And again, I think, Bob, okay, Bob, now you've just judged those people in your heart. So, with your own words, you will be what? Judged and condemned, okay. How many times do I see the provision of God in miraculous proportions? And then suddenly what? Forget and get caught up in the moment, in the, the stress, anxiety of the moment, and worry about where I'm going to get, how I'm going to pay this bill, pay that bill, where am I going to get food, what am I going to do this, how am I going to fix the car, what am I going to do this? Does that make sense? And we just, we forget. And we want God to do what? Give us another sign. We want, we want another sign too. We wouldn't say it that way. But we want God to, sh- to show himself that, that we really still are his what? We're his, people, we're his child. I'm his child. God, you know, you, you've, you've said that you wouldn't allow your kid to, to go hungry. You know, I don't have any steak in the freezer. <laughs> you know, we don't think about rice and bread. You know, we, just, we think big stuff. And so they, they came. And so he challenged, he challenged their motives, looking at the provision of God and God's faithfulness. You know, God, you know you've been there. And then secondly, he challenged their their devotion and commitment to him. He said, you know, what, what, are you guys, what are you guys doing here? Look, continue on verse 41. He says, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, <coughs> sorry, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No, no one can come unto me unless the father who has sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who has come from God. He has seen the Father. Moses, surely I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. That, any, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, Jesus now comes back and he really challenges them in, in their commitment to him. He says, first of all, you need to be looking to where? Rather than looking at physical food, you need to look at me. You've got to think spiritually here. And he goes on in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless what? The Father draws him. The Father draws him. Now, I want to I take, I don't have time to, de- to develop all this. This is another message, okay? 
but this word draws a lot of times is used in, in the big debates between um, Calvinism and Arminianism, which means between election and free will. And you all know that I'm kind of the, the, the mystery middle road position here, okay? And so I see, I see both of them here. But this word to draw actually means to draw, attract, or drag, okay? And what's interesting here is I want you to turn over to John chapter 12, real quick. John chapter 12, because many from the Calvinistic side, from the, the, the election side, would say that that word means to drag, because it is used for um, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, for Paul and Silas being dragged before the, the judges. It is used for a dragnet, how they draw the net in, okay? and so they're dragging the, the, um, the fish in, and yet there are, there's a time when there were so many fish that they what? They couldn't drag it in. So anyways, but in, here clearly in John 12, verse 32, Jesus says, I'm going to start at verse 30 for the context, says, this voice did not come because of, of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will what? Will draw. This is our same word, Elcho. Um, will draw all peoples to myself. So, here we have, we have a, a problem, okay, between Armenians and, 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 and election. So, if you say that this means, that it means drag, and that it means drag at what? Without the, the movement of the the people coming along with it. It's not doesn't mean attract, it doesn't mean woo, it doesn't mean draw. It really means drag. Then what did Jesus say in John chapter 12? He's going to drag everybody. Now we're talking universal salvation. Okay? So that means that when Jesus gets lifted up, when he's raised from the dead, that means that everybody's going to be what? Everybody's going to be dragged. Not drawn, dragged. We're going to be dragged, whether they want to or not, because it's talking about coercion. Okay? So that means that everybody's going to be saved. Do you get it? In other words, some of these things just don't make sense. Okay, And it's okay to not fully understand. God has left a mystery out there, and it's okay for it to be a mystery. You know, We don't have to define everything that God does. And so, um, back earlier, um, I slid over, back, back in verse 29, um, when they were asking, what's the work that we must do? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you what? That you believe. We're, we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, it's not of works. Okay? The only, if you would, work that you could do, Jesus is saying, in other words, it's not really a work, but the only work that you want to do, the work that God has left out there for you is what? Believe. That's not a work. It's just believe. Believe what God has done. God has done it all. I mean, apart from God's grace, you couldn't even come by faith. I mean, if God didn't establish by His grace that you could come by faith, you couldn't come by faith. Do you get it? If God had decided by His grace that you had to climb um, to the top of uh, Mount Everest, okay, and whoever gets to, gets to the top of Mount Everest, you know, there's there's a thousand flags up there, you know, this capture the flag thing, okay, and whoever gets to the top of Mount Everest and grabs the flag, that person gets into heaven. Now, honestly, that would still be an act of His grace, okay, because apart from even that, you couldn't get to heaven. Does that make sense? So God, by His grace, can establish any path that He wants to for you to get to heaven. And he could establish any kind of work then that he wanted to. But he said that it's not by works, but rather it's by faith. And that's the hardest people for to get through their, their mind, that all they have to do is believe. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. And so Jesus said to them, 
You just have to believe. You have to come to me and believe. Verse 39. This is the will, the desire, okay, of the Father who sent me, that all he has given to me, I should not lose nothing, but I should raise it up the last day. Remember from that message on the will of God, okay, the desires of God is what we talked about, because that's what thelema means, the desire, the will of God. That is the same word that's used in Second or in First Timothy chapter two, that this is the will of God. This is the desire of God that all men should be what saved. Again, consistency. If you're going to make it will here, determined council will here, it has to be determined council will there. Do, do, do you get it? Okay. So there's there's a there is what seems to be a contradiction, but we know that it's really a what a paradox. A paradox is a seeming contradiction, but it really does make sense. If it means anything to me, or for God, if it means enough that God needs to reveal this to me when I get to heaven, God will reveal it to me when I get to heaven. But I don't think when I get there, I'll really care. (laughs) Does that make sense? Okay? But what I do know, what I do know, is what Jesus shared here about this devotion and commitment. And that is, first of all, that I need to what? I need to believe. And I need to be what? Committed. He says, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Was he preaching cannibalism? Catholicism would say yes. I mean, I have a picture. I saved it. It was kind of incredible. Um, Because Catholicism takes this passage Truly, literally. I take it literally, but I believe that literally Jesus is using a what? Figure of speech. Okay? He's giving an example. Okay? An illustration. They say, hey, I thought you believed in a literal interpretation of the Bible. We take this literally. Jesus says you need to what? Eat them. <laughs> yeah, eat me. Literally, you've got to grab, bite, and, you know, take a piece of the flesh and chew on it. You know? I mean, that's literally then what Jesus was saying, right? And that's what the people what? heard because they're thinking what physically not thinking spiritually they're missing the whole point and they so the people are thinking he's really gone off now he's preaching cannibalism and then we get to this last part the response of the majority is that a lot of the people what they walked away they walked away let's look on in verse 60 therefore many of the disciples Many of his disciples, now this isn't just a crowd. Many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? If it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who do not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So this isn't just the crowd. This is the majority. But this is even some of those who were what? His his followers. Who who people saw as his Talmudim. That they were the... They were his students, his followers, his disciples. They, they were the ones that, that people would have associated with Jesus. Not necessarily the twelve, but there was beyond the twelve. Remember, because there were seventy. 
that Jesus sent out at one time. So there were more than just the 12. But some of those even in that, not the inner inner circle, but some of those in that inner circle were walking away. Because now all of a sudden, it's really getting to the core of the matter. They turned away. But what about the remnant? What about the remnant? I love this. Verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered said, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the, you're the bread of life. You are the manna that came out in the wilderness. You're it. You're that which is feeding us. Peter, very clearly, is thinking what? Spiritually. He got it. He got it. Where are we going to go? Who else is going to feed us? You've got the words of eternal life. And so, as we read then in, in the Old Testament, okay, this he did for you that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very words that proceed from the mouth of God. You are the bread of life. You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And secondly then, we go on, and he says, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. This is a powerful statement. I mean, understand, everybody else is walking away because they think that Jesus is a what? A crackpot. He's finally gone off his rocker. But in this very moment, a crisis of faith, Peter comes out with it. I mean, I love Peter. I mean, he is, he is out there. You know? What he's thinking, you know it. He says, you're the Son of God. He claims deity. For Jesus. I get it, Jesus. It doesn't matter where I go, but if I go anyplace else from in your presence, I'm going to starve. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. Now, have you ever felt hungry? And I'm not talking about physically. You felt like you were starving. And it's because you weren't reading from the Word. You weren't feeding. And so Peter says that as newborn babes, we ought to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you've tasted of the grace of God, then as a newborn babe, you will desire to feed on God's Word. We've got lots of babies. Lots of babies here. And how many of you moms had to teach your baby how to eat? You know, when the baby's born, they, they take the baby over to the, nur- the, the warming tray and the nurse says, okay, honey, you've never done this before. Okay, okay, we got suck. Come on, baby, you can do it. No. If you've breastfed, in, at least from our side of it, I mean, that's happened, you know, like, Immediately, right? The baby's born, brought up to the chest, and the baby instantly tries to do what? Nurse. 
How did the baby know to do that? It was natural. It was natural. It's instinctive within us as a physical being to eat. And so Jesus said, you must be born again. You need to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. You must be born again. Just as you knew that you needed to eat physically. You were all here, so apparently you, you, you do that quite well. Okay, Some of us look like we really do it quite well. And, but when you're born again, instinctively, spiritually, you ought to know that you need to eat. You need to be fed. If you don't, if you have no desire for God's Word, you really need to decide whether you're born spiritually. If everything we've talked about today has gone over your head, you've got to decide, am I on a physical plane or am I on a spiritual plane? That was what was going on when Jesus was talking to those people in Capernaum that day. They missed it. They weren't born of the Spirit. So, have you eaten of the bread of life? What are you eating? And what diet does your life reveal that you are eating? I mean, when people look at you and how you act, are you representing somebody who's feasting on the Word of God? Yesterday morning, we were in Macon, Friday and Saturday morning for some baseball games. And it was at a Christian school. And I shared this last year. We were at the same place. I just, it's just mind-boggling to me. These academies, these Christian academies that play satanic music. I, I just don't, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to limit, limit people's Christians' liberty here, okay? But when, on Friday night, I, I hear continual songs that are talking about going out, and, and for you, the ones who really want your kids sheltered, put your fingers in their ears for a second, okay? That, 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 that are talking about going out and finding a girl that they're not married to, so that they can do something with her that night. And there's that kind of song after that kind of song after that kind of song at a Christian school. It's mind-boggling to me. So yesterday morning, I was working on memorizing Colossians 3, um, again, and, and working on, you know, you know it, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, you know, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on, thing, on things above, you know, and not on the, the things of the earth. And I started laughing to myself. Here I am, I'm memorizing this thing. I want to seek, seek the things which are above. I want to set my mind on the things above. And within a half an hour, this Christian school is going to do its very best to put, my, to put my brain back where it was 30 years ago, back into the trash of the life that I used to live. And so, just as I'm laughing and thinking about that, the coach comes up to collect my money. You know, because you've got to pay to be at these, these tournaments. It's kind of funny. I think, that's, what, a, what a rip. You know, that you, you gotta, you, you're already paying to be in the tournament, so then you've got to go and, and watch. Anyways, and so he comes up to get my money, and so I, I gave him my money, and I, I said, can I, can, I, can I say something? Can I share something? And he says, well, yeah. And I says, I, I made a decision this year coming in that I wasn't going to say anything, because it's like going in somebody's house and commenting on, on what they're doing in their house, and I, I, I wasn't going to do that. I said, but you're here, and it's just us alone. I said, um, I said this is a Christian school, right? And he says, yeah, I, said, I mean, you've got, you you got a cross on your uniforms, and you've got the cross right there in the building. Uh, you know, you, you're trying to let everybody know that we're, we're representing Jesus Christ. Yeah. I said, why is it then that at, at these games, do you play songs about, and I was 
actually very, I didn't have little kids around, so I was very straight with what the songs were teaching. And I said, you know, I used to DJ. You know, I used to DJ before I got saved. And, and here you are, you want my kids and me to be inculcated with, to be taught repetitively, this, this is what we should be doing. I said, is that really what you want your, your, your kids, your, your, your baseball team, being taught? I said, there's a lot of pumped up Christian music that I may not personally want to listen to. But it doesn't matter. At least the message that would be being proclaimed is what? Honoring the God and leading the kids, pointing the kids in the right direction. I mean, you could play some Chris Tomlin. You could play some, some um, Third Day. You could play some, you know, I just kind of laying some stuff. I said, and there's probably other ones that are even more pumped up than that that maybe I don't know the names of. Very easily you could do. Well, you know, he tried to excuse it a little bit. But he finally said, listen, I appreciate you saying it. I said, I know that you don't probably control that, but you're the coach. You can ask, you can make a statement. Just say, hey, listen, I had somebody. You can even call me a jerk. I don't care. You can, you, you, I had some guy say, challenge us on the consistency of our, of our testimony here. I mean, straight up. At the homeschool World Series two years ago, now last year we had multiple games going on so they didn't play music. When we were down in Pensacola and we had one game at a time, they did the same thing and I went and I challenged them. This is a Christian homeschool association. Okay, I mean, like around the, around the nation. Homeschool World Series Association. Okay, All Christian associations. Okay, Teams coming in. You had people off the street coming in to watch these games and you're going to play trash music. I don't get it. There's no consistency. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. What does your life reveal that you're eating? Are you feasting on the Word of God? Are you feasting on the Word of God? Or are you feasting on the world? Are you a consumer of the world? Or are you a consumer of the Word? You can't have it both. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And I thank You, Jesus, that You have revealed Yourself as the, the bread of life. Lord, as Peter said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, if you're not true, if your word is not true, then I, I'm, God, I, I just I don't know where I'd go. I know that there is a God, and I know that you're God, and I know that we've been created. I mean, I know all that. And if your word's not true, God, I mean, we would be, of all men, most, uh, so hopeless. But we know your word is true. We know that it gives life. We know that it gives sustenance. We know that it gives us growth and gives us strength. Lord, help us to be faithful, to feast on it. Lord, help us to, to spend more time in your word than we do in the world. Lord, help us to spend more time reading from your truth than we do of the lies of the world. Lord, we, we, we spend so much time in the, in the newspapers and, and reading the blogs and, 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 and watching the, the YouTube videos and um, watching the, the secular news being filled with the lies of the world. And yet we wonder why we are influenced so much by it. Lord, help us. In this day when you have allowed us to have your word in audio, your word on video, your word in print in so many different um, versions that I, I can't read the ifs and the this. And 
God, you have, you've allowed us. We have no excuse. To whom much is given, much will be required. Lord, cause us to, to be faithful. Lord, provoke us, challenge us. Lord, that we would be looking to the chala, the chala of, of your word to be fed, to be satisfied, to be content that we may better reflect you. In Jesus' name, amen.